All right, so people always like to drift in late. It's considered a, a spiritual practice, I guess. It's kind of like sitting in the back of the room when the, when the room is almost empty. Um, so today, um, Mia is going to talk. It's her third installment about her process of immigration to uh, the United States. Um, we have um, Mia's talk is is in a, a larger context. Um, the country right now is is dealing with immigration issues, uh, issues of refugees. Um, for those of you who are here on the 17th of September, we had a man, uh, Thang Jin, who came and spoke to us about the Albuquerque refugee family that we're um, helping to sponsor, and they're the Camdens and. Um, uh, they come from uh, sub-Saharan Africa. And if you remember, he's had a lot of difficulties uh, trying to support his family in that he was involved in um, a hit-and-run car accident and he was made an invalid. Um, then Jing, uh, Jin also came and spoke with us in January to let us know something about um, uh, the program. And at that time, uh, there were some um, uh, attempted changes in immigration policy and uh, people from banned countries. Um, so it's, it's very much an issue for us. Um, and then in December, uh, the Social Concerns Committee plans to talk about um, uh, ref uh, refuge uh, churches and, uh, and that whole... Um, sort of sanctuary movement, I guess you'd call it. Um, and so we do have this larger context in which the, uh, this topic is of interest. And Mia is going to talk about her experiences, which, which took place in the, uh, in the 50s. Um, and we can get some perspective from somebody who's gone through the process and found it very bumpy at times. And, and Mia is going to talk about... Um, a particular part of her process. Um, Mia? When I was finished at the University of Missouri and graduated, um, I was the only person uh, of, of the physical education department that was interested in physical therapy. Um, and the head of the department was very excited about it that I, and helped me get in to the Cleveland Clinic program for physical therapy that was in Cleveland, of course. Um, she also uh, put me in contact with a group in Cleveland that um, helped me find a home that I could stay with a family and help them. Um, it was a wonderful family. The husband was a professor at the West, Case Western University Medical School. His wife, however, had TB, and they had three children. And what they wanted me to do was to sit with the children at night and make sure that they did their homework and if they had any questions about what they were studying, they were supposed to ask me, and I was to explain it. Perfect situation. I also was supposed to 
polish all the silver they had every Saturday morning. And I have decided when we were married never to have silver and spend my life polishing um, because of that. But they were very kind people. They were Unitarians. And they asked me to go to church with them one Sunday. And that Sunday was an eye-opener. And um, I went with them every Sunday after that to the Unitarian Church near Shaker Heights. Um, The other thing that was in Cleveland that was absolutely delightful, there were over a hundred foreign students there. And there was an organization that was interested in the international affairs, and they helped foreign students, so we had a place to meet and have parties, but parties were not the most important thing. Um, We met and discussed um, political problems, amongst nations, we called ourselves the Little United Nations. Um, And it was fantastic because we got to hear all the different positions from different countries from their point of view uh, that were happening in in the world, literally. So you didn't get it from the newspapers, but you did it get from students that knew precisely what was going on. Every one of them was well-educated. Many of them were daughters and sons of um, people that were in charge of countries, like presidents, um, kings, when there were kings, uh, high government officials. They had been well-educated in their own country, and they had come to the United States to polish off Um, their education so that they could take their position then in the government or in in, uh, industry or in teaching universities and so on. So it was a fascinating place to be. Um, When I got into my class at uh, Cleveland, um, uh, Cleveland Hospital, Um, I met one girl that was uh, particularly liked, and she invited me for dinner for a Sunday night, and I went to her uh, with her. And I thought with these experiences that everything was very good in Cleveland about race relations. Um, This girl had a, or this woman, had a, little sister who was about five years old. And when I got to the house, after about an hour, she said to her sister, why does she talk so funny? I still had a pretty thorough accent at at that time. And the sister explained for the first time to this girl, she hadn't ever learned that, There are many countries, and there are many languages spoken in all these different countries. And she said, well, that's different from English? Yes. And so I said some things in Dutch for her and explained to her what it meant in English. And she was fascinated. So her sister went on and said, there are... People look different in many countries, too. There are people that are 
are black and there are people that are red and there are people that are are um, yellow and and then there are white people and she looked at me and I was very sunburned that day she said does she belong to the pink people and she said no it, that's just a sunburn um, so we also went with this group of foreign students um, swimming in, in uh, Lake Erie. And one day we had a nice big group to go and um, we got to Lake Erie and there were all signs all over, you cannot swim today because it is so polluted that you will get sick from going into the water. So please do not swim. And it was a hot day, and so we decided we'd, we'd drive around and see if we could find a swimming pool. Well, we did find a swimming pool. And I and another girl, a girl from Sweden, um, went in to see if that was a public pool, if we could go swimming. And he said, oh, yeah, sure. Uh, you just have to pay the fee, about a dollar for, for an afternoon. And we went back to the, to the cars, and we said, yeah, we can go swimming, it's a public pool. So everybody got out of the car and we went into the entryway of the pool and they looked at us and they said, you can't swim here. And we said, but you just told us it was a public pool. They said, no, you can't swim here. It's closed to outsiders. We couldn't figure it out and we couldn't figure it out. and. We puzzled over that. Why did they tell us that you could swim? And now we showed up with these foreign students. Um, well, we had many colors. Uh, there were blacks, there were Chinese, there were, were others. And we couldn't figure it out. So we decided finally to give up and to just not argue with them anymore um, and left. But the thing was, even though I came from a country that was all white, Caucasian, um, in this group where we had discussed and talked to each other, where we had danced together, where we had partied together, where we had done all kinds of things together, color disappeared completely. It wasn't there in the first place, but it, it, it never got to the point where we said, oh, this guy is, uh, is a Negro, and I don't want to have anything to do with him. You know, it was so completely integrated that we didn't even think about that that might be the case, that we couldn't go swimming. And that was kind of bad. Uh, I had started um, very early to get my visa um, renewed because, you know, the, I, my experience with the immigration service was they were so totally slow. Um, if you didn't do it on time, you would never get anywhere. Well, that was halfway through my um, training there. And I had met John, and uh, John had asked me to marry him, and I had said, yes, I would. Uh, I liked him very much. 
obviously. And um, because I had visa trouble, uh, we had decided that we'd get married before the um, immigration service could send me home uh, because I didn't have a visa or I didn't have a work permit. What happened was uh, one of the students was marrying a multimillionaire the day after graduation in September, and she was going on a three-month honeymoon going around the world. Well, that sounded fine, but she also had a job at Rainbow Hospital, which is a children's hospital, and they wanted somebody to replace her for, for the months between September and December when she was going to come back. And I said, well, that's perfect because in December, I'm going to get married in Kansas City, and so I won't be here. So I can take your place, um, and you can, when you come back, you can take your position, and, and we, I won't be there anymore. And the hospital said, that's great. That's the perfect solution. I said, yeah, but I need a work visa. So I sent that in about four months before... Uh, my visa ran out, and I didn't hear, and I called up the immigration service, and they said, oh, we're working on it, don't worry about it, it'll get there. <laughs> Call them again. Oh, yeah, we're working on it, and don't worry about it. Well, when the date showed up that my visa was running out, I decided I'd better go in person, and see what was holding up the work. The work still. <laughs> I stood in line from 8 o'clock in the morning and got to the window, and this official was sitting there with his legs on, that was early in the morning, on his desk, a big fat cigar in his mouth and a big mug of coffee. And what do you want? Well, I would like to find out about my visa. What's your name? I told him. Um, he looked at some papers and he said, Oh, um, we have lost your passport. And we can't find it. Uh, we, but we're working on it. So get to the end of the line if, if you're uh, really serious about getting this fine. And we'll send somebody to look for it. So I went back to the end of the line. And by the time I got back to the window, well, we haven't found it yet. So go back to the end of the line. And I spent eight hours going back to the end of the line. And no passport appeared. He said, well, come back tomorrow. We'll be sure to get that. So the next day, same story. It was just ridiculous. Um, by the end of the day, they told me again, come back tomorrow. And again, I stood in, in line for eight hours, and I was getting sick and tired of standing in line and being sent back all the time because they couldn't find my passport. Well, um, I didn't know what to do, and I was getting very, very discouraged. And so... Um, I decided, you know what, instead of being so 
um, being so upset about it and going to bed and crying and stuff like that. Tonight there is a um, a folk dance party in the in the basement of the Presbyterian Church. Now, if you know the Presbyterian Church there, it's a huge place and it has a huge basement. And when you go to a folk dance party there, there are m- many, many people there. Well, I arrived after it had already started, and I sat down at a little table by myself and um, you know, decided I'm I'm going to work. I'm going to dance in in one of these group dances and. And just forget about this whole business because I don't know what's going to happen. And I sat there. And all I could do was think instead of doing something while I was sitting there about how this was going to go and how they were talking about sending me home instead of doing anything about my passport. And um, after a while, this handsome young man showed up at my table and said, Oh, what are you doing here? Uh, Aren't you going to dance? And I said, Well, I was planning on it when this dance is finished. And he said, You look a bit unhappy. What's wrong? And he said, Oh, you don't really want to know. You know, it's, uh, it's kind of bad. And he said, you know, I am really interested. I would like you to tell me. And I said, well, it's so horrible. I, I don't know how to solve this problem. He said, please, please tell me. I will sit here and listen to you, and maybe I can help you. I said, well, if that's the case. So I told him what had happened, the whole sorry story. And when I was finished, I thought he'd say, oh, my gosh, there's nothing I can do about it, and walk away. But he said, oh, this is, this is fantastic. You know what? I just finished my law degree, and um, I haven't got a job yet, and I really want to get started lawyering. And what I'm going to do is I'm going with you, to the immigration service, and I am going to help you get your passport and your visa. But I don't have any money. I'm just a poor student. You know, I've been on scholarships all these years. And he said, I don't care. I just want to get started on being a lawyer. I've been looking forward to that for years. And he was very excited. He said, on Monday morning at 8 o'clock, I want you to be at the immigration service, and I will meet you there. Well, I thought maybe he might be able to do something. Um, The rest of the evening, it was kind of a load off me that somebody was going, taking that much interest and willing to to try to help me with that. I, I wasn't sure that anybody could, but since he was a lawyer, maybe he could. And so I had a good time that evening and a better weekend. On Monday morning, I met him. 
We stood in line until we got to the window. Oh, it's you again. Well, we haven't found your passport yet, and we haven't discussed about your visa yet, and we haven't discussed whether we, we are going to send you home. And this young man stepped up and he said, Now, wait a minute. She's been here three days standing in line. You have not done anything for her. You just, she's not going to leave here until that, that passport is f- found, and you better take care of it. And who are you? I'm her lawyer. She doesn't need a lawyer. Nobody that comes to the immigration service needs a lawyer. And this young man said, anybody who is in trouble with the government needs a lawyer. And I am her lawyer, and you have to deal with me. And you stop pushing her around, because this is the end of that. (gasps) Well, the guy said, okay. And I'll look for the passport. And it was five minutes later, and he came up with the passport. <laughs> well, uh, my, my now very good friend said, I want to discuss this. Why did it take so long? And, and the immigration sir, uh, man said, we'll go into another room because this is going to be a big argument. And the lawyer said, yes, that is what's going to be. So we went into this other room, and the guy said, well, I was already working at at Rainbow. She's working without a permit, and that's not allowed, and for that we can send her home, and she won't ever be able to come back again. And the lawyer said, okay, let's look at that. For four months, while she still had a visa, You didn't do anything about the passport renewal or a work permit. And I have heard other students that have had terrible troubles with you. What are you trying to do to these students? Force them out in the gutter so they they have to sleep there? Force them to go home before they get their education done? What is the purpose of the way you're treating these people? Well, the guy said, well, she is working without a permit, and therefore we can go after her. And he said, do you know who these foreign students are? And the foreign people that come here, he said, they are all coming for a, an education so that they can help their country be better. Now, and this was shortly after the Second World War, and you know, universities weren't set up yet completely in, the, in many of the countries where the Germans had been. And um, people came here to be educated so they could take over educated places again because the Nazis didn't like educated people, and many of the professors had died in concentration camps because they stood up for... Um, for the Jews, they stood up for legal action. Uh, they stood up for people that were persecuted, um, other people that were persecuted, and the Germans didn't like it. So many of those were killed. And so they had this argument, and um, it lasted about an hour. He said, those people are people that are the sons and daughters of government officials in the, in, that are the highest officials in the country. 
Now, how would you like, finally the argument was, how would you like the sons and daughters of an American president to go to another country to get an education? And then some immigration official like you telling them that they are not going to be able, they have to stand in line for hours and days. They cannot get a work permit uh, if they can't get money out of their country um, and they want to work. You force them to sleep under a bridge. Is that what you would want for your president's children? And the guy had to admit he didn't. He said, then don't do it to other countries either. And that clinched the argument. He said, okay, well, we will renew her visa. We will, um, we will give her a work permit so she can work till the end of the, the year. And um, it'll be there next week, next week, Monday. So we left with that promise. And um, this young man told me, his name was Donald, told me, if it doesn't show up on Monday, um, call me, and I will go by myself to talk to them. Next Monday came, well, not a sign of a passport, not a sign of a work permit, <laughs> a sign of anything. Um, so I called Donald up and said, <laughs> there's nothing here. He said, okay, I'm going tomorrow. And he went and he called me up on Tuesday and he said, they promised that it would be there next Monday. Call me up if it is not there on Monday. Well, um, I worked for the week. I looked in my mailbox on that Monday Nothing there. So I called him up again. He said, well, it's time for drastic action. And I will take it and I will see you get that stuff. Um, so what he did, he wrote a blistering letter, he told me, uh, to the immigration service in Washington, D.C., to the head of the immigration service in Washington, D.C. He sent a copy to the governor of the state of Ohio, and he sent a copy to the senior United States senator from the state of Ohio in Washington, D.C. He sent also a copy to the immigration service department in uh, Cleveland. Three days after it must have arrived in the immigration department in Cleveland, I had my work permit and I had my visa. It was amazing, you know, after all that. Well, this is not the end of the story. Um, I asked, I again asked Donald, was there anything I could do for him? because this was so amazing what he had helped me with. And he said, you know, I felt so good to beat at the immigration service the way they were treating people. I'd heard about that and that I could do something about it. He said, what I want is for you to send me an, a, 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 
invitation for your wedding. I said, well, that's easy to do. And he said, and I, I'm so grateful to you that, believe it or not, that you let me help you. An amazing person. I wonder, I think he's going to be one of the, he, I thought he was going to be one of the best lawyers in the nation. John you know? um, and I got married and we moved to Princeton. Um, I was told I had to go to the Netherlands to get a permanent visa. So we got tickets on the Queen Mary to go to Europe. Um, It was in about March when I picked up the paper and I saw a little notice there, you know, one of these little news items. The Cleveland Office of the Immigration Department is being completely overhauled. Several of these people that, that work with, um, with all the foreign people that come to visit in this country and that are students have been fired because of the way they were treating this, the people that were here. We cannot have them um, being treated that way because we make nothing but enemies in other countries that way. Um, the whole... The head of the, the um, service there uh, was replaced, and it is going to be a much better immigration service. Well, he must have written some letter <laughs> to, to get all that accomplished. And I showed it to John, and John said, wow, he did it. <laughs> um, so then it was the the problem of going to the Netherlands, and I was going to have trouble because I'd had TB, um, tuberculosis, when I was a child, three times. I got it from a, a teacher who had tuberculosis and gave it to everybody, every kid in the class. And when we were all, when they finally figured it out what was wrong with us, they, we were all examined and we were all put to bed for a year. Um, and then I got it another time. Uh, it re- re-emerged. And um, the third time was the last time because I gave it to my brother and sister. And mom had, during the, the first years of the war, had three TB kids to deal with, as well as all the other problems that we had. Um, and if you had had TB, you were not allowed in the country. So, um, the week before we were supposed to go on board the Queen Mary, I got notice from the State Department that they needed physical therapists so badly that this time I didn't need to go get a visum in, in the Netherlands. I could get it here. But you know, my parents had never met John, and the tickets were expensive, And um, they were not refundable, as usual. Um, So we decided we'd go anywhere. Anyway, uh, the first thing that we did was go in Europe, was go to uh, the Isle of Skye, where that is the island of the MacLeod clan, where they had an international meeting of all the clan 
members that were from all over the world. Well, that was interesting. Um, they came from Australia, even from Russia and Poland and those places. Um, so we had a wonderful time there, and then we decided to go to the Netherlands to visit. And uh, we arrived in Rotterdam, and my parents, I could see my parents on the quay, and we were waving, and you have to go through customs. Well, that was an interesting procedure because John noticed that anybody who had a Dutch passport, which I still had, they opened their luggage, and then you had to pay import duties of all the film that you had. And John said, you know what? We've got lots of film in our luggage. Why don't you go to the end of the line, and I'll go to the front of the line, and I'll take this luggage through because they don't open the luggage of Americans. So he whisked through, you know, the, yeah, everything was okay. And I was at the end of the line, and guess what? You've, you've been in the States for five years? Yes. Well, I spoke Dutch at that point. Um, and you don't have any luggage? <laughs> I said, no, I'm married to an American. My husband is over there on the quay, and um, he took all the luggage through. You can't have been in the United States for five years and not have any luggage. <laughs> well, um, I have a lot of luggage, but my husband took it through, and it's already through customs. And every once in a while, you know, after five years of speaking English and not speaking any Dutch, I missed some words, and I'd say an English word, and they'd say, you're Dutch, aren't you? <laughs> yes, I'm Dutch. Look at my passport. Well, why don't you speak Dutch then? <laughs> I've not spoken anything but English for five years, and it'll come back, but... Uh, well, then tell us, where is your luggage? And this went on and on and on and on, and everybody was already off board, and they were still trying to get me to, to find my luggage somewhere. Well, finally, I said, okay, my parents, I haven't seen for five years, they're standing there waiting on the quay. I've told you time and time again that my husband, who is standing over there with them, you know, this handsome, tall guy, um, is there already? Are you going to send me back to America? No. Well, why don't you let me off the boat then? So they finally let me off. Um, we went and got the visa. And since we were married, thank you, John, uh, we finally got my permanent visa. And I think that is kind of the end of my story. If you have any questions, <laughs> yeah. Did your parents like John? <laughs> Come again? Did your parents like John? When they finally got to meet him. Yeah, I finally, he finally got to meet them, and he, they liked John very much. And uh, we stayed with them. 
and they had a wonderful time with the family. And and then we went. Uh, uh, John and I went off to Austria, and we stayed in a hotel. And we went hiking, and after a few days, the hotel management came around and said, you guys like to hike? We overbooked. We would like your room for a few days because these people have, we have no room for these people here. And we told them we did. Why don't you go hiking around to these different mountain huts for, for a few days? We said, fine, we'll do that. That sounds like fun. And we did. And when we came back, the room was again ours. And there was another funny thing that happened there. There was a a little boy whose mother was German and whose father was an American. And um, he kept asking me what what country I was from because uh, I could speak German to the Germans kind of with an accent. And I could speak Dutch and I could speak English. And he couldn't figure it out. He went through every morning. He thought, thought of another country to ask me. And I said, no, I'm not from there. And finally, when we left and the other family left, I told him in the morning, I am from Nederland. Nederland. That is the, the official uh, Dutch for the country. Oh, that's where you're from. Because he was used to accents, but he couldn't figure out that my accent was a little bit different than anybody else's that he knew. And so it was very interesting. Anyway, any other questions? (sighs) Done? Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. Tell where we were staying in Austria. Uh, there was an English-speaking ta- table and a German-speaking table. Well, there were several German-speaking tables, but there was an English-speaking table. But it, there were no other Americans there. These were English, upper-class English, very stuffy. <laughs> and I elected to sit at the. At, at the table that spoke German, even though my ability to, to to carry on a conversation in German is very limited, I learned to read German as part of my training as a scientist. But chatting is <laughs> awkward. Her original uh, childhood home. Is was right on the German in Holland in 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 the Netherlands, but it was right on the German border. The village boundary was also the national boundary. (laughs) Her ability to speak German is a, a little bit painful after the World War II experiences, but she's quite competent. Well, does anybody else have any questions or comments? Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. It was a very interesting experience. (laughs) 